on Wednesday, two delightful, peace-loving Palestinian Arabs dressed themselves as ultra-Orthodox diners and then shot up the Sorona market in Tel Aviv. Thirteen people were shot, four Israelis were murdered. The two terrorists were captured. Amir Ohana, who's a Knesset member, an Israel parliament member, described the scene. said, people were having coffee, I saw a birthday cake on one of the tables, and then you see the chairs upside down and glass shattered and blood all over. The dead. A professor at Ben-Gurion University, a former special forces fighter with two kids, a young mother of four kids, an engaged woman who had just enough time to call her fiancé before dying of her wounds. This was a textbook terror attack. Israel has weathered such attacks for decades, but small-scale attacks on soft targets have escalated dramatically in recent years, particularly by knife. Israel released information about the terrorists. They were both from a village near Hebron, that's Hebron, in Judea. Both were in their 20s. Both were celebrated by terrorist government Hamas, which runs the Gaza Strip and is a member of the coalition government in the so-called West Bank. Hamas praised the attack. Their spokesman said the shooting was, quote, the first of many surprises planned against Israel during Ramadan. So, while Western governments continue to act with sensitivity regarding going after terrorists during Ramadan, terrorists don't really seem to care. They're just happy to kill Jews. The Palestinian Authority, meanwhile, blamed Israel for the terrorist attack. They said, quote, achieving peace requires everyone to stop taking any action that will increase tensions and resorting to violence. Palestinians, meanwhile, celebrated in the street and they handed out candies. Naturally, the U.N. Security Council, they did nothing because they only condemn Israel because they hate Jews. This drove Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danone, to blast the U.N. He said today's heinous attack sadly proves that when the international community refuses to condemn terror against Israelis, the next attack is only a matter of time. Terror in Tel Aviv must be treated the same as terror in Paris or Istanbul. But it won't be because these are Jews. So both the media and Western governments treated the attack as unrelated to the broader Muslim terror war on the West. Here was CNN's original tweet on the attack. This is their headline. Quote, two terrorists, they put terrorists in scare quotes, captured after Tel Aviv attack, Israeli spokesman tweets. This is obviously terrific journalism in scare quotes. So terrific that CNN later had to pull the tweet and issue a quasi-apology. They said a previous now removed tweet appeared to call into question the Tel Aviv attack as an act of terrorism. It undoubtedly was. Well, yes, thanks for that. 12 hours later, CNN also had to issue a correction on their website. There's a reason I labeled CNN Hamas's news network on CNN during the Gaza war. Meanwhile, the State Department condemned the, quote, horrific terrorist attack in Tel Aviv, but continues to pressure Israel to make concessions to the terrorist government that celebrates and supports such attacks. Just three days ago, the New York Times reported the State Department had given a grant to produce a Palestinian reality TV show, is your money, in which three contestants run for the job of Palestinian president by promising to boycott Israel and designating East Jerusalem the capital of Palestine. When two Muslims loosely affiliated with ISIS killed Americans in San Bernardino, the world, or the world rightly decried ISIS. When Islamic terrorists murdered journalists in Paris, the hashtag Je suis Charlie trends. Don't hold your breath for Ani Yehudi or Ani Israeli or I am a Jew. Instead, just keep waiting for the West to call on Israel to make concessions to the terrorists who murder women and children in cafes. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about, and we have the mailbag today. Plus, in the first time, I think we make this a weekly thing, we're going to have a Bible verse of the week. Ooh, that's right. The Judaism comes into play. You've been fearing it all along, but we're back, and we're better than ever. Okay, so we'll get to, we'll get to all of that. And you should subscribe. Go to dailywire.com to subscribe to our, to our podcast and to the website. You get the first 30 days free, and you get to be part of the vaunted Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. So quickly, 
Before we begin with Hillary Clinton and the horrible interview that she did last night with Brett Baer on Fox News, I want to start with this, this piece by Jonathan Chait in New York Magazine. So yesterday, I let off the show by talking about the rising tribalism in American politics. I said that President Obama has basically relegated universal American values to a back seat. He said that black people should vote for him because he's going to stand up for the blacks, and Hispanic people should vote for him because he's going to stand up for the Hispanics. And so Donald Trump responds with, well, I'll stand up for the white people, so the white people should follow me. And so you end up with these, this racial tribalism that's been promoted by Obama. Jonathan Chait doesn't like this. Jonathan Chait at New York Magazine, he thinks I'm being unfair to Obama. He says that I am emblematic of, quote, the very white racial paranoia that enabled Trump to conquer the Republican Party. I'm, I got to I gotta tell you, folks, I'm getting kind of sick of being blamed for Donald Trump when I'm like the only person who doesn't like Donald Trump, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm the person who's standing here saying that Donald Trump is a crap show and Donald Trump is a problem. I've got the Wall Street Journal blaming me on one end for Donald Trump, and I've got Jonathan Chait blaming me on the other end for Donald Trump. It's been such a confusing year. I mean, honest to God, I've got the KKK calling me uh, a, a cuck for black people, and I've got the Black Lives Matter movement calling me KKK. I don't even know where I stand anymore. I'm just standing here saying true things. And apparently this is this is totally terrible. Chait says that Obama isn't tribal. So he writes this point. He says, it's true. And then, and then he, I love this. He actually just concedes the point in the first paragraph. He says, it's true, of course. Democrats do appeal to different members of their coalition on the basis of their interests. That's what I'm saying. That's called tribalism. So thanks for admitting my point. And then he says, if you believe racial discrimination against white people is as serious a problem in American life as discrimination against racial minorities, as Republicans overwhelmingly do, you're inclined to view any specific appeal to minorities as the odious dangling of special favors. Well, no, that sort of misses the point. I don't have to believe that racism against white people is worse than racism against black people. I just have to believe that racism against all people is wrong. And therefore, if you say to black people, let's be racist against the white people, that's bad. And when you say to white people, let's be racist against the black people, that's also bad. Saying that you should be able to discriminate on the basis of race because certain races are more victimized than other races I didn't say that tribalism is okay when it's when when it's justified by victimization. I said tribalism is bad. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. We'll get back to tribalism in a little while. Okay, so Hillary Clinton has now started her general election campaign, and that means that unfortunately for her, she has to do interviews. And doing interviews means occasionally she has to answer questions. And answering questions means occasionally that she's going to say stupid things. And by occasionally, I mean that these people have no clue what they're saying. I mean, Hillary Clinton is, is, she says, she says terrible, stupid things all the time. So Hillary Clinton does this interview with Brett Baer and it's just awful. We're going to go through some of it. So here is Hillary Clinton. He asks her about talking to the FBI and here is Hillary's response. And she, she looks like she just wants to leap through the screen and strangle him. That there is absolutely no possibility of an indictment. Has anybody from the it, DOJ it talked to you or your representatives? I will repeat what I said. That is not going to happen. There is no basis for it. And I'm looking forward to this being wrapped up as soon as possible. Has anybody from the FBI talked to you or your representatives? Oh, I know that they've been interviewing a number of people and I've told people to cooperate and I'm looking forward uh, to uh, also uh, participating. I've uh, offered to do so since last August. Okay, she has not offered to do so since last August. The Inspector General report openly says that she has refused to cooperate and so have her aides. So she's just lying straight out. And Brett Baer sort of questions her on that. Brett Baer says, well, no, that's not what the investigation says, actually. And she says, don't, you know what? I'm sick of answering these questions. Nothing from this investigation is going to change anything. 
Well, again, I'm not responding to any of the personal attacks that come from Donald Trump. He did bring up the emails, though, again tonight. He's going to in this general election. You know that. Can you assure the American people and the Bernie Sanders supporters who you now have to court that there isn't anything coming from this FBI investigation that's going to change the course of your campaign? Absolutely. You're confident? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so she says that nothing is going to change the face of her campaign, and this is the night of, of her winning the, the nomination. This is actually a different interview. Again, these are bad answers. And you want to hear some more bad answers. Here's Hillary Clinton rambling about the economy with Brett Baer. He asks her, how's the economy going? Not that well. And she answers, no, everything's hunky-dory. 65% of Americans say the country's headed in the wrong direction. So what specifically would you do differently with the economy than President Obama has done? Well, I think that uh, 76 months of uh, job creation uh, is a good start. Well, it's just not different. I mean, what specifically would you do differently than the Obama administration? Right, right. But I think what, what I want to establish is that uh, we've gotten out of that uh, deep ditch we were dropped into. Uh, it took a while because it was a pretty severe recession, and a lot of people haven't yet recovered uh, to where they were before the recession. That's why I've said we need a big infrastructure plan. I, I don't understand uh, why today's Republican Party in Congress opposes the kind of investments in infrastructure uh, that we've been doing literally uh, she, from the okay. beginning so, of the Republic. So she's, just, I wanna she's speaking gobbledygook, right? I mean, none of this means anything. She, she's asked, she says that the economy is going great guns, which everybody knows is false. The unemployment rates are not what they say they are. More people have dropped out of the workforce than at any time in the last 35 years. And here she is trying to cobble together an economic plan that relies on building roads. Sorry, gang. It turns out building roads is not going to fix the economy. It isn't. It turns out the Soviet Union had plenty of roads. It didn't fix their economy. The economy is not fixed by building roads. In fact, there's a good case to be made that if you want the road system to be fixed, you privatize a lot of the roads. But Hillary Clinton has nothing to say here, and so she's just trotting out the same old crap. And she does the same thing when she's asked about the Clinton Foundation. So she's asked about the Clinton Foundation. You know, did, did, why is it that there's so much allegations? Why, why are allegations of corruption flying around the Clinton Foundation? She's asked this by Anderson Cooper. And here's and she, again, she's doing her media tour and she's looking absolutely terrible. Asked by Wolf Husky, Anderson Cooper, about, about what happened to the Clinton Foundation. If you're president, will your husband divest himself of any association with the foundation? Well, Anderson, you know, we'll cross that bridge uh, if and when we come to it. But let me just try to set the record straight. We had absolutely overwhelming disclosure. Were there, you know, one or two instances that slipped through the cracks? Yes. But was the overwhelming amount of anything that anybody <coughs> gave the foundation disclosed? Absolutely. And I'm proud of the foundation. I'm proud of the work that it has done. I'm sure she is proud of it since it made her it, it paid for those really nice jackets that she's wearing. These $13,000 jackets that she's wearing that she stole off of Violet Beauregard from, from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So she says that, don't worry, it, it sort of slipped through the cracks. You know, stuff happened. It slipped through the cracks. And, and then she says, and then she says, oh, by the way, Bill may actually stay at the foundation. If I'm elected president, Bill will stay at the foundation. This is actually a major point that nobody is paying attention to. When we talk about corruption in the political process, think about this. Donald Trump has not said he will put his assets in a blind trust if he's president. Hillary Clinton says Bill is going to continue to run the Clinton Foundation if she's president. Okay, this is deeply corrupt stuff. Think about it this way. Donald Trump has a bunch of business interests, right? And he can use the power of his office to impact his business interests. 
This should be illegal. It's not, right? He could use the power of his office to impact his business interests. In fact, he's already doing this as a candidate. He's ripping judges in cases about his own assets as the presidential candidate. Wait until he's president. Hillary, same thing. As Secretary of State, there was an inherent conflict of interest in the Clinton Foundation taking money from dictatorships while she was handing favors to those same dictatorships. Now she wants to keep doing that as President of the United States. Bill was running the Clinton Foundation when she was, when she was Secretary of State. It was bad enough. Now she's saying, even if I'm elected, Bill may stay at the foundation. But, but some big donors clearly want the association with you or your husband that being linked <coughs> to the foundation gives them. As president, obviously it's vital that you or certainly your husband not appear to be in any way compromised. So I guess, have you considered the idea of him stepping down? Again, you know, I'm not going to consider anything until we see what the circumstances are. But let me uh, just point out that people give lots of money to uh, presidential campaigns, don't they? Uh, they give lots of money to uh, uh, political parties as well. Uh, so, you know, that is money that goes directly to support political activities of candidates. Money that has been given to the foundation goes to support humanitarian work. And if people want to influence anybody in office, I think they would choose the political route. Uh, and indeed, uh, the work of the foundation really speaks for itself. Okay, the work from the foundation, name the work of the foundation. Can anyone tell me what the foundation does? Except make them rich. And by the way, when she says, well, you know, people spend money on campaigns. I thought it was you and Bernie Sanders saying people shouldn't spend money on campaigns, right? It's corrupt. It's deeply corrupt if corporations give money to campaigns or if they start super PACs. That's terrible. So she's using that as an excuse to keep running the Clinton Foundation. And by the way, it's less corrupt to give money to a campaign than it is to give money to the Clinton Foundation because the Clinton Foundation can pay for her expenses. The Clinton Foundation can pay for her husband's house and is her husband's prostitutes, right? The, 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 the campaign can't pay for any of that stuff, presumably. So Hillary is, is a total crap show. By the way, Obama has just come out and endorsed Hillary, of course. And this just shows the corruption inside the Democratic Party. I said yesterday, Democrats are way worse than Republicans. Why? Because Republicans look at Donald Trump and half of us say, oh, my God. This is terrible. Democrats look at Hillary and they go, yay, she has a vagina. Woo! The president of the United States, who is in charge of the executive branch, part of which is currently investigating Hillary Clinton, came out and endorsed Hillary Clinton while she's under current FBI investigation. Is the difference between Republicans and Democrats. And this is what's so galling. This is why there are a lot of people who are saying the Democrats are so terrible. I have to vote for Trump no matter how bad he is. Just because the Democrats are so dishonest, they're so terrible, there's no such thing as, as a decent standard when the Democrats are playing. Look at President Obama. President Obama is, is on with Jimmy Fallon on, M on NBC. And this is the guy who says that it's terrible that we have a reality TV star running for president of the United States. The first reality TV star president, President Obama, on Jimmy Fallon last night. And he says, yeah, I'm overjoyed that Donald Trump is their nominee. Do you think the Republicans are, are, are happy with their choice? Um, we are, but I don't know how they're, <laughs> I don't know how they're feeling. <laughs> so. <clears throat> we are, we're, we're very happy. And the glib glee of that, right? And, and he says he's happy with Hillary too. He said that Hillary is the most qualified candidate who has ever run for president of the United States. He said that today. He said she's super duper qualified. If, if by qualified you mean she should be in prison, he said, I don't think there's ever been anyone so qualified to hold this office. Really no one, no one in the history of the country, like George Washington. Like maybe, I don't know, Dwight Eisenhower, perhaps. There's never been anyone so qualified in the history of the United States. Only if you're an idiot do you believe this. I mean, you really have to be a stupid person 
to believe this in any way. But President Obama believes that. And then he and then he kind of sneers down his nose and he says he's worried about the Republican Party, to which the response of Republicans typically is go go screw yourself. Like, I don't, yeah, we nominated Donald Trump. You nominated a felon. At least we have the good grace to be embarrassed about who we nominated, some of us. Here's here's Obama. Actually, you know what? That, 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 that was too easy, but... but I, I, the truth is, actually, I, I am worried about the Republican Party, and, and I know that sounds... Uh, uh, you, know, yeah. you know what it sounds like. You know what it sounds like. He says he's worried about the Republican Party. It's just he's, he's OK. The idea that, that Obama is worried about them, he's worried about the Republican Party in the same sense that the the chiseler son-in-law is deeply worried about the father-in-law dying and leaving all the money to him. OK, Obama's worried about the Republican Party that it may survive. Obama wants to sneak in in the dead of night and stick a pillow over the Republican Party's face and just and, and just suffocate it out. That's what Obama wants. He's worried about the Republican Party. And all of this is galling. It's so galling. And for Republicans, we look at this and we go, at least we're intellectually honest. At least we recognize that our guy has problems. You won't even recognize that you have problems, that you are the problem. You have no self-awareness. There's not a mirror anywhere in the White House. And here's President, President Obama last night. He was slow jamming the news again. Again, this is a guy who argues that, the, that he doesn't like reality TV candidates. And he's slow jamming the news with Jimmy Fallon, who's his sycophant. On July 1st of this year, the interest rates on Stafford student loans, the same loans that many of you use to help pay for college, are set to double. And that means some hardworking students will be paying about $1,000 extra just to get their education. So I've called on Congress to prevent this from happening. What we said is simple. Now is not the time to make school more expensive for our young people. Oh, yeah. You should listen to the president. Or as I like to call him, the Prezi of the United Steezy. Things were heating up inside Congress's chambers behind all those closed doors. So the president made a few discreet calls across the aisle. He said, hey, let's get together on this one. Without an affordable Stafford loan, where can a student turn? The Pell Grant is a beautiful thing, but with college getting more expensive, is it enough by itself to satisfy all your collegiate needs? Oh, Pell, no. Oh, Pell, no. If Congress doesn't act, it's the students who play. The right and left should join on this like Kim and Kanye. This is, okay, I can't play this whole thing. It's, it's, it's egregious. But this is what the media have done with Obama for eight years, right? Eight years of this. What he's saying about Pell Loans and, and Stafford Grants, there are too many people in college anyway. They're majoring in stupid crap, okay? The, but this is the point. The, the media treats Obama this way, and this is how they're going to treat Hillary Clinton too. And it's galling to everybody. And so the reaction, the natural reaction, I understand it. The natural reaction is Trump, right? Trump, because Trump's just a giant pulsating middle finger, as Kevin Williamson has said. This is exactly... This is exactly correct. And you can see the anti-Trump press, they were holding back. Now, I want to point something out here. Donald Trump made his first comments about Mexican judges back in February. Did you hear anything about it at the time? Anything? No? That's because the media didn't want to talk about it. The media wanted him to be the nominee. The media ignored all the bad things 
about Donald Trump because they wanted to play him up. They wanted to give him media attention. He was a great story. They didn't want to hit him with the wave. And make no mistake, the media do have the capacity to put together a wave. I know because I've been on the other side of a wave like this. So if, if a few years back, I did a debate with, with Piers Morgan on gun control. And it's gone viral. A lot of people have seen it. Millions of people. <coughs> Excuse me. And one of the and one of the things that happened after that is that the media decided, a lot of folks in the media clearly decided that I was a little bit of a threat. And so they were going to look for an excuse to sort of take me out. So a few weeks later, there was a, a big there was a big hubbub over Charles Hagel, over uh, Chuck Hagel. Chuck Hagel was being nominated for Secretary of Defense by Obama. Chuck Hagel is wildly anti-Israel. So I got a call from a source, a very highly placed source in Congress, that Chuck Hagel had spoken to a group called Friends of Hamas. Okay, I didn't double source the piece, and so I ran it as a rumor, right? This was a deliberate decision. We ran it as a rumor at Breitbart. We said, there's a rumor floating around Capitol Hill that Chuck Hagel, who has not released the people who have, that he's spoken to, that he spoke to a group called Friends of Hamas. We ran, ran it as a rumor. Turns out that in all likelihood, that rumor wasn't true. I wanted to run a retraction. Some other folks who were above me in the editorial chain did not. In any case, I, you know, we, we ran the rumor as a rumor. And the rumor turned out not to be true. And not that big a deal happens in the media on a pretty frequent basis. People report a rumor. The rumor turns out not to be true. And everybody moves on with their life. I wake up the next morning, and it is legitimately the lead on Huffington Post. It's the lead on Huffington Post. It's all a hoax. It's all, it's all fraud. It's a hoax. So they ignore the fact that I reported it as a rumor and basically say in the piece, it may be true, it may not be true. It's just a rumor, right? They, they, they ignore all of that, and they just immediately go to, well, it must have been a hoax, and, and I'm getting calls from MSNBC, and I'm getting calls from the New York Times. I'm getting calls from everybody on, on what is legitimately not a big story, right? And I say, look, I've reported all the information I had. I said it was a rumor. That's all I can say about it. I can't verify it because I didn't verify it, which is why I reported it as a rumor. The reason I tell this story, and by the way, I wish I had never run that story. The reason that, that I tell that story, aside from saying everybody makes mistakes in this business, the real reason I'm saying that is because there is a moment where if you've ever, there's a movie with George Hamilton called The Last Wave, and at the very end of the movie, George Hamilton walks out onto a beach, and it looks like deep impact. All of a sudden, there's a wave coming at him that's 1,000 feet high. Right? He's just standing on the beach and the wave's coming at him. That's the end of the film. The left is capable of creating those sorts of waves. And they're doing this right now. They're doing this right now. And the wave is going to be a pro-Hillary, anti-Trump wave. And so for all this time, we've been saying, oh, Trump can fight back against the waves. He can stand there and he can rage against the sea. He can stop the tide from coming in. When the media decide they're on the same page, they're on the same page. They're on the same page. That doesn't mean they can't laugh at Hillary every so often, but it's not real. So, you know, you'll have Chris Matthews every so often laugh at Hillary Clinton. Oh, I'm going to say, see, you're going to laugh at Hillary. She's terrible. Oh, my God. Is it, go, go Hillary Clinton. I got a thrill up my leg, but still, it's not the greatest thrill. Lester Holt asked Hillary Clinton, what kind of a campaign are you going to run? Is it going to be a campaign of matching insults? She said, no insults, just the issues. The two issues being, quote, the fact that he's that Donald Trump is unqualified to be president of the United States right. and he's temperamentally unfit. These are the issues. But right. she's not talking insults. Okay, so, he, so he's laughing at Hillary Clinton that she's insulting Donald Trump, but then he proceeds to insult Donald Trump, right? He says that Donald Trump is a, is a textbook racist. This is going to be the wave that comes against Donald Trump. Right, here's Matthews again. He defines racism here. The United States doesn't have clean hands when it comes to racial problems or racial attitudes or racism itself. We know when you have slavery for 250 years, that's racism. It just is. It's domination yes. of, by white people of another group. Okay, and he's trying to link that to Trump. And thank you for that definition of racism, Chris Matthews. Yeah, well, when, when people hold slaves, they're black. I can tell you that's racist. You can argue with me. I'm going to tell you that's racist. You can't hold black people as slaves. That's racist. 
You know, this is racist, killing black people because they're black. That's racist. So the, the media are coming for, for, for Donald Trump. Andrea Mitchell doing the same thing. She says President Obama is going to jump in. He's going to jump in on Hillary's side. He's going to make sure Hillary wins. With that big win now in California, Hillary Clinton has her best argument for persuading Bernie Sanders to concede exactly eight years after Clinton's painful loss to Barack Obama. But now President Obama is ready to go all in to make sure that Clinton can succeed him in the Oval Office. And they're so excited. Andrea Mitchell is so excited. She couldn't be more excited. Lester Holt on NBC. He's also super duper excited. He's asking Hillary Clinton deep questions, hard questions. Here's a hard question from Lester Holt to Hillary Clinton. Is this going to be the nastiest campaign ever? Will you respond uh, insult to insult? No, absolutely not. He can run a campaign of insults. I'm running a campaign of issues that are going to produce results for the American people. I'm going to talk about why he's unqualified to be president based on his own words and his deeds. And I'm going to continue to uh, make the case he is temperamentally unfit to be commander in chief. So that is funny. That's the clip that, that, that Matthews was referring to earlier. She said, I'm not going to I'm not going to hit him with insults. He's unqualified and unfit. <laughs> but the, the question is really what I'm focused on there because she's bad at this. We know she's bad at this. But Lester Holt. As, so are you going to be mean like Donald Trump? Donald Trump's mean. Are you going to be mean and terrible like Donald Trump? Are you going to be evil and horrible and ugly and stupid like Donald Trump? I mean, really, these are the kinds of questions Hillary's going to feel this entire election cycle. And you can see it happening from even the people who are supposedly Trump's friends. Right. So Joe Scarborough, we played him yesterday and Joe Scar and, and I uh, and I made an obscene gesture at Joe Scarborough on camera yesterday. Joe Scarborough, you know, yesterday, he, he said months ago, it's impossible. You can't you can't call Trump Mussolini or Hitler. Don't call him any of these things. Come on. He's just Donald Trump. You can't call him any of those things. Here is what Joe Scarborough said today today about Donald Trump. When you're talking about banning over 1.4, 1.5 billion people simply because of the God they worship, yeah. that is as un-American as anything he's ever said, as un-American as what he said about this judge. And I'm with you, Willie. Where was the outrage then? Like we said on this show, asking the question when this first came out, is this what Germany looked like in 1933? That's Every bit is offensive, I, but why, why not the outrage from the right, the center, the left? Okay, and so I guess his opinion has shifted. You, you couldn't call him Mussolini or Hitler before, but now it's like 1933 and Hitler. And amazing how he shifted that quickly as soon as Hillary's the nominee, boom, right? Then Trump's Hitler again. Amazing how that works. Meanwhile, the reaction on the right has been exactly what I thought it would be. Everybody is now degrading into the worst of themselves. So you've got the people on the left degrading into full-on Hillary fandom. We're going to cheer her forward. We're going we're gonna to carry her forward on a platform with a chair on top like Milo Yiannopoulos with a bunch of idiot college students. And on the right, you've got uh, on the right, you've got people like Laura Ingram and their response is no matter what Trump says, it's just fabulous. No matter what Trump says, it's just the greatest thing in the world. So Laura Ingram, who in this clip looks like sort of the, the funhouse mirror version of Hillary Clinton because they're wearing exactly the same top. But, but here is Laura Ingram saying something very special about Donald Trump. She's a talented person. She's very smart. But Trump has the magic sauce. He just has to sprinkle it on the issues. And then he has to serve it up in a very pleasing, interesting, and sometimes provocative and entertaining way. People want to go to rallies and have a good time. They want to feel like there's a champion for them. He began to do that last night in a much more, I think, organized fashion, which is what was needed for some time. I, for one, think it was a very good first step. Okay, so he's got the magic sauce, which is just a horrifying image. 
Nobody wants to nobody wants to to consume Donald Trump's magic sauce. That is that is horrifying in every way, Laura Ingram. Thank you so much for that imagery. By the way, that wasn't the worst imagery of the day. Worst imagery of the day was Joy Behar. Joy Behar tweeted today that while she is sexually she literally tweeted this. While I'm sexually attracted to Bernie Sanders, even I want him to pull out. She actually tweeted that. Yep. Joy Behar providing imagery that nobody ever wanted to think about. She is a joy and a wonder. So what you're seeing is that on the left, everybody's degrading to Hillary Phantom, cheer forward the felon. And on the right, you see people saying everything that Trump says is fine. And Danny, I'm seeing people this week, like now there are a bunch of people on the right and you knew it was going to happen, who are saying what Trump said about the Mexican judge isn't that bad. I mean, it's not that bad, right? I mean, come on, it's not that bad. I mean, the left says stuff like that all the time. Yes, the left does say stuff like that all the time. And it's bad when they do it. But it's turned into, no, 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 if the left says it, it's not that bad. I mean, Trump's doing it, it's not that bad. The difference, again, between right and left is that on the right, there are a bunch of people who say Trump is still unacceptable to us. We don't like him, and we think on principle that he's somebody we can't support. Ted Cruz was asked about supporting Donald Trump, and there there's one funny story about this. Apparently, he was asked this as he was getting on an elevator, and the, then the reporter said that Cruz just kind of turned around and looked quizzically at them as the door slowly closed in front of him. <laughs> Which just reminds me of that that gif from The Simpsons where Homer slowly backs into the bush away from the question. In any case, here is Cruz saying that he wouldn't, he, he's not going to support Donald Trump, probably. As I said before, I am looking and listening and watching the candidates. I'm doing the same thing millions of voters are doing, uh, and time will tell. And by time will tell, that means no. That's a big no. Right, Jeff Flake, congressman from Arizona, he also says that Trump isn't going to be able to win like this, and he can't back Trump either. Uh, I can tell you we won't have any Republican in the White House that takes these kind of positions and makes these kind of statements. So it's kind of a moot point whether you'll have a Trump presidency because uh, he won't be in the White House if he continues to make these kind of statements. Well, you said something along li those lines to reporters on Capitol Hill yesterday. You said Donald Trump cannot win the White House. With all due respect, he defeated 16 other Republican candidates, some of them very impressive. He's won more Republican primary votes than any other Republican candidate ever. Why can't he win the White House? There's a big difference between winning a primary and winning a general. And you can take extreme positions in a primary and win a primary. Uh, but try translating that into a general election win, and you just can't. Okay, so Jeff Flake says he can't get behind Trump either. John Kasich is now saying he may not support Trump. This is a guy who... Everybody assumed, you know, the man who, who looks like his face went through the washing machine a few times in your pocket. John Kasich said that, that he can't, you know, you, everybody assumed the only reason that John Kasich was going to continue his run was because he wanted to be Trump's VP. It was the only rational reason. There are only two possibilities. Either John Kasich is fully insane out of his mind or he was running to be Trump's VP. It turns out the former was likely true. Here's John Kasich saying that he may not support Trump at all. Will you support Donald Trump for president? Hard to say. You know, if you look at uh, Twitter, they have this thing called trending. It's trending poorly. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I have a di completely different message, you know, and, um, you know, Mr. Trump called me and he said, you know, what are you, you going to do to support me? I said, we're like two companies. You know, we have a different vision, a different value system and a different objective. Well, you are the host governor. Yeah for the convention that comes to Ohio in 40 days. The build, what, are, are you no. saying it's possible you can walk into that arena in Cleveland, Ohio and not endorse? Absolutely. Of course. Look, I, I've been this way since I was in politics. I kind of call them the way I see them and never, before, never more than today 
does a country need to be unified? Disagree you with. don't even sound like you're on the fence. No, I, I'm giving him a chance. You are. Well, I mean, it look, he doesn't can sound like it. He's trending the wrong way with me. He's trending the wrong way. First of all, I like that he doesn't understand how, how trending topics work on Twitter. You can't trend poorly. You just trend, right? I mean, you either trend or you don't. But in any case, John Kasich is not on the, the Trump bandwagon. By the way, our managing editor, Jeremy Boring, makes the suggestion that if Hillary wants to win the presidency outright, all she has to do is pick Kasich for, for her VP. Do a unity ticket, take some of these wavering kind of soft, soft Republicans away from Trump, and he's finished. And I think that's probably true. In any case, the, what's happened, and this is a problem also for, for the Republicans, is that there are two types of people who, who are backing away from Trump. There are the people like Kasich or liberal Republicans who just don't like how Trump talks. And then there are people like me. I don't like how Trump talks, and I don't like anything that Trump has to say on policy. So I don't like either of those two things. I don't think it's worthwhile to, to put those two together, but I think it is worthwhile to point out Democrats are happy to centralize around Hillary and Republicans want, I know there's a desperate desire for all of us to jump on the Trump train just so that we can fight with these people. I get it. I totally get it. I'm, I have the same gut reaction that you do. I look, at, I look at Obama just grinning it up on Fallon, and I look at Hillary lying it up all over the TV news, and I think, God, bless America. I really want to find somebody who can pummel these people. And the, the problem is Trump makes it almost impossible to do that. He just makes it almost impossible to do that. Okay. Time for some things I like, and then a thing I hate, and then some mailbag. So, things I like. So, we're doing sports books and movies this week. So, there's a great book called Emperors and Idiots by Mike Vaccaro. Um, I am a, a White Sox fan in baseball, but I'm secondarily a Red Sox fan. I grew up liking both teams, but White Sox much more. Um, and the, this book, Emperors and Idiots, is maybe the best baseball book ever written. Uh, it's about the the rivalry between the Yankees and the Red Sox from the beginning to the end of the of the curse, and it's it's terrific. It's a really good, fun book to read, really juicy and interesting, and, and captures the entire fight. It's it's great. Emperors and Idiots by Mike Vaccaro. Okay. Um, we're also going to do a, a sports clip. So the best sports clip of the of the week was actually not in sport. It was before a game. I don't know who teaches rappers to throw baseballs, but the answer has got to be nobody, right? Because Snoop Dogg threw out the first pitch at a San Diego Padres game. And here is what it looks like when Snoop Dogg, whose son is apparently a good athlete, here's what it looks like when Snoop Dogg tries to throw out a first pitch at a ball game. A featured guest today is one of my personal favorites, Snoop Dogg, who threw <laughs> out the ceremonial first pitch. And this is our cricket wireless something to smile about. <laughs> Camera operator in harm's way over there. <laughs> <coughs> So first of all, I like the super white guy saying that Snoop Dogg is one of his personal favorites. That's that's really that's really fun. But Snoop, for those who can't see it, he flings the ball and he misses everything. I mean, he he misses the catcher, he misses the batter's box, he misses the plate, he misses the stadium. I mean, he almost he almost knocks a plane out of the sky. So that's there, there's there's a whole compilation of the worst first pitches now. And honestly, one of them has to be President Obama. I'm not sure who's teaching these people to throw, but it's it's nobody who knows how to throw a baseball. Okay, other things that I like in the real, in in the world of uh, just pop culture, um, there's a 12 year old dance contestant who is on a show with Paula Abdul on So You Think You Can Dance, and things went wildly wrong in this particular clip. It's a little girl dancing, and they all say that they they want to give her a ticket to L.A. or whatever this is. And here's where it gets so dicey. Are you okay, honey? Okay, okay. We're okay. 
And she upchucks all over Paula Abdul. Are you all right? She loses her lunch it's okay, all honey, over Paula it's okay. Abdul. I've never had anyone just vomit on me like that. Okay. And she's happy again. She's happy again. Which I guess if she if she wants to be a professional dancer, it's good it's good experience for being a bulimic. But in any case, she she vomits all over Paula Abdul. And um and anybody who vomits all over Paula Abdul is my new personal hero. So this so this girl is is now one of my personal heroes. So good for her. Uh the dancing was all right, but the vomiting was first rate. So well done there. Okay. From the ridiculous to the sublime. Okay, we're gonna start doing Bible verse of the week because I'm big into the Bible. I'm a fan of the Bible, as you may know. So this this week Mathis was joking because I pulled a verse from Numbers, right? Which actually it's weird that it's called Numbers because it's it's Bamidbar, which means in the desert. The, that's the 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 book is called Bamidbar in Hebrew, in the desert, but it's called Numbers in English because the entire book is just a bunch of counting, right? It's, it's they keep counting the Jewish people over and over and over again. They're counting the tribes, they're counting coins, they're counting everything. So at the very beginning, it says in Hebrew, it says in Hebrew. Right, it says, take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel by families following their father's houses, a head count of every male according to the number of their names. And then it says that you should, for everybody who's 20 years old and up, anybody who's fit to go out to the army, you count them by their legions, you and Aaron. Okay, so... The reason that I picked this verse, or these two verses, is because in, in Judaism, in Orthodox Judaism and in Judaism, because I don't recognize other forms of Judaism other than ones that believe that the Bible is true, in Judaism, every week, we read a section of the Bible. So once a year, we go through the entire five books of Moses. So this week's portion is the beginning of, of Numbers. So this is why I'm taking this verse. So the reason I picked this verse is because I think it's important to note here that God orders Aaron and, and Moses that they, they're supposed to count the congregation of the children of Israel by the families following their father's houses. So there are a couple of things to note about this. Number one, the, the concept of patrilineal lineage in Judaism is an interesting one because matrilineal lineage, lineage the idea that you're, if you're Jewish, you're Jewish if your mom is Jewish, that only comes about later, really. It comes about in the time of Ezra, 1,000 years, 1,500 years after the advent of the Torah. But the idea here is that your father is what defines the house. In a culture now where fathers don't define our houses, where fathers are considered completely irrelevant to the house, where fathers are booted because women need a man like a, like a fish needs a bicycle, the reality is that we are all counted in the end by our father's house because we carry down the values of our fathers generation to generation. That's point number one. Point number two is back to the tribalism point that I made at the very beginning of this show and yesterday's show. And that is one of the most dangerous aspects of humanity is our tendency to fall into tribes. Right, and they're counted by tribe in numbers. We're, count, we're counted by tribe. Or the Jews are counted by the tribe of Judah, and they're by the tribe of Benjamin, and by the tribe of Don, and by the tribe of Asher. Right, they're all counted by tribe. And so you might ask, well, why is God forwarding that? Why count them as members of tribes? And the answer is, God recognizes that we're tribal. God knows us. He created us. God knows we're tribal. God knows that we have greater allegiance to our own families than we do to other people. But God then says, God then says that what makes you fit to be counted is not your membership in a tribe. What makes you fit to be counted is your membership in in the army of Israel, right? What makes you fit to be counted is the fact that you are an, an advocate in favor of something broader. So I'm very often accused by alt-right anti-Semites, very often, well, you say that you're against racism and you say that you're against xenophobia and you say that you're against tribalism and yet you're in favor of a Jewish state and, and Jewish exceptionalism. Okay, I don't believe in Jewish, uh, Jewish ethnicism. Okay, I don't care that Sandy Koufax is Jewish. It makes no difference to me that Sandy Koufax is Jewish. 
I care about the ideas of Judaism. In the same way that I don't care that Noam Chomsky is Jewish or American, he doesn't represent any of my ideas. I hold nothing in common with Noam Chomsky. The same is true in Judaism. God is saying here, God is saying here pretty explicitly that you're, you're counted by tribe because that's how we count ourselves. But what makes you fit to be counted in front of God is your membership in a philosophical system that God cares about. That's what God cares about. God cares about what you believe. God cares about your relationship with him and the community's relationship with him. He cares a lot less about the family that you belong to. He's going to recognize that you put stock in that, but he's not going to count that as the ultimate membership in the congregation of Israel. Ultimate membership in the congregation of Israel means what are you willing to fight for? And it better not just be your tribe. And in fact, throughout, throughout, the, the, throughout the Torah, there are situations where if, you are, if your loyalty to tribe is greater than your loyalty to, to Israel, you have a major problem on your hands. And this happens with the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, Later in the Torah, later in the Bible, there's a point at which Ephraim and Manasseh don't want to cross over. Uh, they, they don't want to cross over the Jordan River and fight on the other side of the Jordan River. And the deal that Moses makes with them, and the deal that Joshua makes with them, is if you join us and fight for the liberation of Israel, then you can go back across the Jordan. But if you're going to just stay across the side of the Jordan, we're not going to help you at all, right? You're part of the broader. You're part of the broader group, and the broader group is united by this document that we brought down from Moses on Sinai. So that's that's the Bible verse. Of the week. Okay. Time for, should we do a, okay, we have time for a thing I hate. So a thing I hate, the Democrats keep claiming over and over and over they don't want to take away your guns. Okay, first of all, there was a Ninth Circuit ruling today that says there is no personal right to concealed carry. That you have no right under the Second Amendment to carry around your weapon in public, which is idiotic. Okay, the right to bear arms, bear, as you might know, means to carry. That's what it means. Okay, that's English. They say no, that's what the Ninth Circuit says. And now you have this idiot, this platform committee member for the DNC, who says no one has the right to own a gun at all. This is what Democrats actually think. Not just keeping the guns out of <coughs> the hands of mentally ill people and, and, and criminals, but I really don't personally think anyone should have a gun. I mean, that's just my own, you know, you know philosophy. Uh, nothing is ever... Uh, Solved, you know, when when you have a gun in your hand, except you know, you know, the worst possible scenario. Nothing is ever solved when you have a gun in your hand. How about like when bad guys are coming, right? How about that? That solves. You know, nothing is ever solved. How about Nazism? That was solved by having guns in our hands. So is communism. It turns out. So are most of the world's evils. So the, the, this whole thing is not. But this is what Democrats actually think. At least she's honest. At least she says what she thinks. Okay. Time for the mailbag. So again, folks, you have to subscribe to dailywire.com if you want to be part of the vaunted Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. Before I forget, just because I know I will, why don't we start with the video question? This is actually about a week old, but you can submit video questions via dailywire.com. Also, all you have to do is post your question on YouTube and then send us the link as a member, and we'll grab it and we'll use it video question. So here's a video question uh, from Kelly. Hi, Ben. One of the theories Howdy. I have comforted myself with <laughs> over the course of this election cycle has been Mark Stein's idea that due to Donald Trump's unpopularity with members of Congress, they will be more incentivized to use, assert their constitutional powers against him. Do you think that this is a viable theory, or do you think that they will just continue to roll over and play dead for President Trump as they have with Obama and certainly will with Hillary? Okay, so I think they're more likely to roll over and play dead with Trump than they would with Obama or Hillary because it's harder to buck a, a member of your own party than it is to, to fight somebody of the opposite party. The, the idea that Republicans haven't fought Obama is not really true. They haven't fought him hard enough, I don't believe, but they fought him. I mean, the fact is that he wanted a bigger budget than they gave him. 
He wanted to you know, expand spending further than they allowed him to. Uh, the budget, the only reason for any economic growth at all has been that Republicans have stopped Obama from doing his world-beating routine the last four years the way that he did the first couple of years. So you know, I don't think that's fully – but I think Republicans will play play dead with, with Trump because they're playing dead with Trump right now. He's not even the president yet, and they're playing dead for him. They know he's the standard bearer, and they have to – Pose, they have to push for his re-election, right? I mean, they have to, they have to, they have to push for his re-election. That means that they can't undercut him too much. I, I love this. Donald Trump, by the way, just, just moments ago tweeted, "Obama just endorsed crooked Hillary. He wants four more years of Obama, but nobody else does." And Hillary tweeted back, "Delete your account." <laughs> okay, this is just. Uh, the, I will say this: it's it's a deeply entertaining election. I mean, this election is, is deeply entertaining, but it's awful in every way. Okay, so more of the mailbag. Jacob writes, Ben, you had an audio clip of Hugh Hewitt in Wednesday's podcast. I've never heard him speak before. The only thing I heard was Vizzini from The Princess Bride. Does he not sound just like him? I, I don't know that he sounds just like Vizzini from The Princess Bride. But if he does, I would take that as a compliment. I wish I sounded like Vizzini from The Princess Bride because he's the best character in the history of film. Vizzini is awesome. Okay. Never start a land war in Asia. Uh, Andrew writes, Ben... I have a girlfriend who might be a liberal. I'm pretty sure she is. Well, dude, find out who goes to my college. I'm a hardcore conservative who is anti-Trump as well as anti-alleged woman Hillary Clinton. <coughs> I told her that Hillary is a pseudonym for Hades and that she should be imprisoned. And then my girlfriend told me later on she doesn't agree with my politics. Should I dump her or try to convert her? Well, Andrew, I think that you should make a decision rather quickly before you start getting too emotionally invested. So my view is that at the very beginning, at the very beginning, you should decide whether your values are compatible because values are going to outlast your desire to have sex with somebody. It turns out that after you've had sex with somebody for many, many years, the sex is still great, but you better have something in common with them because you can't fill 24 hours a day with it the way that you did at the very beginning. So that being the case, I would recommend that you actually think deeply about what her values are and if her values reflect your own. If she is ardently pro-Hillary and she's never going to change, and thinks she thinks Hillary is the greatest thing in the world, forget about it. If she's somebody who's malleable and wants to and wants to talk about these things, but be honest with yourself. Don't let the fact that she's hot blind you to what her actual values are. You know, when I met my wife, I could tell pretty quickly. I have a I have a I have politidar, right? I don't, I don't there's gaydar and there's politidar. So I have I have leftar, right? So I can, I can tell within ten seconds of speaking to somebody whether they're a conservative or whether they're a leftist. I knew that my wife was a conservative, even if she didn't know she was a conservative yet, because she was apolitical. But I knew that she had the same social values that I did. She was in favor of traditional marriage, and she was in favor of religious standards of education, and she was in favor of, of basic freedoms, and she was in favor uh, – she was, she was generally pro-life. She's become significantly more pro-life since we met. I knew all this right off the bat. That being said, you know, there's always wiggle room. You, you can if, – if so, there's a difference – let's put it this way. There's a difference between somebody who's apathetic politically and somebody who's fully motivated to be a leftist. Very difficult to get the second kind of person to become somebody conservative – just for you. And if they do it just for you, it ain't going to work out well. Dane, Dane writes, Hey, Ben, I'm a conservative. I used to like watching Hannity. Now I can't stand it. It's turned into a daily Trump love fest. He said, I see principled conservatives who believe all the right stuff fall for Trump's nationalist populist movement. I don't get it. Do you think there's any way to win them back? Well, I think that in order to win people back who are ardent Trump supporters, Trump has to lose and lose badly. I think that's the only way. Because otherwise, it's just, for the next six months, it's going to be, if you don't back my man, you're disloyal. If you don't back Trump, you're not conservative enough. There's no way to convince people on that. Once you're on the Trump train, there is no exit from the Trump train. This sucker is headed straight for, uh, straight for Eastwood Ravine. That's where, that's where this is going, back to the future three style. Ariel writes, 
Hey, Ben, I'm a 19-year-old conservative. I grew up in a single-parent household. My mother had to take care of me and my older brother for many years while working. My mother immigrated from Ecuador when she was 18, worked and studied to become a high school teacher. Before that, she temporarily overstayed on her visa before applying for citizenship and getting it. So for a time, she was technically an illegal immigrant. Many family members point to this when I claim I'm against illegals coming across our border. Does this make me a hypocrite? So I have to be for illegal immigration since technically, if the law had been properly enforced, I might never have been born an American. No, there are two reasons why you're not a hypocrite. One is just because somebody did something wrong, it doesn't mean that that thing should continue to be done wrong forever. Right. You know, my parents, I'm sure when they were younger, did things that I don't like, but then they changed and they don't do those things anymore and they don't espouse those things. So, you know, what you can say is illegal immigration is wrong. My mother probably shouldn't have done it. I'm glad that she did because it worked out for me. But that doesn't mean that this is a standard that America can survive. Also, it sounds like your mom was not a welfare illegal immigrant. She didn't come here for the government benefits. She came here to work. And I've said many times, I don't have any problem with anybody coming over the border who wants to work generally so long as they're not dependent on my dollar or your dollar or taxpayer dollars. I'm for open immigration so long as those people believe in basic American values and freedoms and liberties. The way that you guarantee that, by the way, is getting rid of the welfare state. Because if they can only come here, here's the deal. When people came over in the early 20th century, when my great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents came over here in the early 20th century, when they did that, there was no welfare. They came here, and the basic standard was they were giving up whatever, whatever niceties they had back in their homeland to come here and then to fight and scrap their way through. That's a pretty rough deal. That's a pretty rough deal for anybody. That's what guaranteed that we got the best and the brightest because you had to be ambitious enough to give up your social welfare back in the old country to come to the United States and then forge something for yourself with no help from anybody at all. That actually generated a better class of immigrants. We have a different magnet now. That magnet is the social welfare system. Vince writes, if Hillary is indicted, drops out of the race, and Dems decide to run Joe Biden, could you vote for him over Trump? No, I wouldn't vote for Joe Biden over Trump. I think that Joe Biden is just kookier, friendlier, not as robotic Hillary Clinton. They believe exactly the same things. William writes, being this is sports week, what is your opinion on the seemingly annual uproar over the Washington Redskins mascot? I've heard you say you hate when political BS seeps into sport, so I'm sure you have an opinion on this. Okay, so my opinion on this is that everybody who cares about this is a left-wing East Coast elite who likes to make himself feel good about writing about the Washington Redskins. Native Americans don't give any craps about this. They give less than zero craps about this. The, the alcoholism and poverty rate on Native American reservations is egregious. It's horrible. It's something that people should try and help. The Redskins are like number 100 on the list. As I've said before, if there were a team called the, the Washington Jews, let's make it even worse. Let's say they were called the Washington Jew Boys. So they're called the Washington Kikes, right? And then every week, the Kikes were beating up the Saints in football. That would be a point of pride, I think. Right? <laughs> that would be, it would be somewhat hilarious, right? So that's, yeah, this, whole, this stuff is all nonsense. There's nobody who really feels, no, nobody, no Native American is being mistreated because of the name Redskins. Redskins was initially adopted as a term of affection by the team uh, because they had so many Native American players, actually. Mike writes, hi, Ben. I hope you and your family are well. I voted for Cruz in the primary. Now I will be voting for Trump in the general. What do you think is the best possible outcome of a Trump presidency? I think the best possible outcome of a Trump presidency is he goes to sleep for the next four years and does nothing because I think that he's going to do tremendous damage to our trade. I think he's going to do tremendous damage on foreign policy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe Donald Trump will surround himself with the best people and suddenly transform into a guy who likes to listen. But somehow I doubt it. Aaron writes, what did you get out of law school? Who should go to law school? I'm a recent college grad thinking about the future. Also, you are a legend. Well, thank you. I agree. Uh, when did you get out of law school? So I got out of law school 
Um, I got out of law school in 2007. What I got out of it was the first year does teach you to think in a more linear fashion. It teaches you logical thinking and logical distinctions that are useful when it comes to political thought. Uh, I enjoyed law school a lot. It taught me a lot about how the left thinks too because sophisticated leftists go to Harvard Law School. So I know exactly how Obama thinks. Um, who should go to law school? Anybody who, who, anybody who either wants to practice law or who can get into a law school good enough that the name of the law school is useful on your resume. So one of the nice things I got out of law school is, the, is Harvard Law School, right? Whenever I say that, very difficult for the left to call me stupid or parochial or a backward tick. I went to their best school and I graduated with honors. So it's very difficult for them to say anything about it, which fits with my general theory. If you have a choice between speaking up in class and getting a bad grade and keeping your mouth shut and going to Harvard Law School, keep your mouth shut and go to Harvard Law School. Scott writes, Dear Ben, as a veteran, I'm interested in what President Shapiro would do to increase the access to care for veterans as well as disability claims. Also, I'm interested in your thoughts on public sector unions. Please pass my congratulations to Mrs. Shapiro on finishing med school. Yeah, she did that last weekend. Uh, so congratulations to the wife. Um, okay, so as the, as the she knows, she, she, I don't even have to talk about the congratulations for her. She knows how much I love her, and, and I bought her very expensive gifts to prove that love. In any case, uh, <laughs> in any case uh, what would I do to increase access to care for veterans? Well, number one, I would open the VA to private competition. I would allow veterans to access health care outside of the VA. The VA care is not bad if you can get in. The problem is it's a bottleneck. It's a real bottleneck, the VA. My wife has worked at the VA, so I know this. Um, and so I think that we should give better benefits to veterans outside the, outside the VA system. I don't think you should have to work inside the VA system if you don't want to work inside the VA system. As far as disability claims, same sort of thing. I mean, look, if you're, if you're disabled in the line of duty, I think that it's our duty to take care of you. right? I do think it's our duty to take care of you because you've served, and that was the bargain we made with you when you decided to serve. It's a volunteer army. You signed a contract, and we signed the contract with you, and now we owe you. That's how contracts work. John writes, Ben, you always say you're running out of time on your show, but as boss, whose time constraints do you operate on? Two words, Jeremy Boring. Okay, the fact is that our producers also want to smack me in the head when I go overtime, um, but I don't care about them because they are my inferiors. Jeremy, is, uh, Jeremy, however, is, uh, Jeremy, however, is my co-equal, is my business partner, and so when he, says that we have to, when he says that we have to cut off the show a little bit short, we cut off the show a little bit short. Is that, by the way, we are so far beyond time right now so it just shows you it just shows you what i what i care about zach writes i love your show i'm one of the oddballs who gets depressed listening to andrew so i have to listen to your show after to lift my spirits i guess i have a bit i guess i have to have my pessimism validated after listening to his show first don't you think it's a bit bit sexist to call it a male bag <laughs> okay second are you still going to be debating milo i haven't heard anything about that lately so the answer is no, I won't be debating Milo. The reason I won't be debating Milo is because he's a coward. And the reason he's a coward is because it's two weeks ago, three weeks ago, he, first of all, somebody, I think it was Dave Rubin, plus, the, uh, plus um, uh, Stephen Crowder, they both offered to host a debate between me and Milo on the alt-right and Donald Trump. And Milo went totally silent. And then he blamed Breitbart News for telling him not to do it. A couple weeks later, he then said, fine, I'm willing to do it now. And, I, and he emailed me and he emailed Dave Rubin. And he emailed you know, all the people involved, and he said, let's set this up. And within an hour, I had my assistant email back times, right? And he said, in, within the next couple of weeks, no response, nothing. Right? He says, I'll get back to you, no response, for a week, for two weeks, for three weeks, right? And then I email him again, you know, last week and a half ago, and I said, okay, well, you know, I'm holding these dates open, and I'm not going to keep holding dates open, so are we doing this or not? No response. No response because he's chicken, because he's, because he's, he's chicken poop, because he is a coward. 
He's a coward. He's an intellectual coward. It's very easy to go on campus and fight against Triglypuff social justice warriors with an IQ of seven. It's really not difficult. And it's also really not difficult to lie to college students about what is good and true because they haven't studied the issues. It's also not difficult to gain attention by doing silly stunts. And they're fun. I watch them. They're fun. But when you, but when you do those things and you, and you then spoon feed on top of it alt-right white nationalism and pander to some of the worst people on earth and encourage college students to do the same, it's really terrible. I don't have to reiterate my criticisms of Milo here. Suffice it to say he's intellectually shallow. The offer's off the table. I don't waste my time holding dates open for my intellectual inferiors who are too cowardly to debate me, um, who initiate conversations, then blame me for backing out of the debate that they back out of because they, because they have no stones. So that's my response to the Milo debate. Okay, Drew Taylor says, it seems you've flirted with never Trump but won't jump on board. My question is, with 69 years of this behavior, what can he do from now to November to get your vote? So Drew, the only thing that he can do is be not Donald Trump. We'll see if he can do it. We'll see if he can do that. I'm sorry that I have to stop there. We've gone through most of the mailbag. Next week, go to dailywire.com, subscribe, and you too can be part of the mailbag, and we'll be happy to have you. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Hopefully the world will not have burned down. If it does, it's been nice knowing you. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 